It is our privilege at this time of our worship to gather around God's Word. So I invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts. We're going to be looking at some sections from the book of Acts for the weeks of Eastertide. So today we'll be looking at Acts chapter 3, and the reading will begin at verse 11. Acts chapter 3, beginning at verse 11. Please pray with me. God of life, your spirit raised Jesus from the dead. Your spirit inspired the prophets and writers of scripture. Your spirit draws us to Christ and helps us to acknowledge him as Lord. We ask that you will send your spirit now to give us deeper insight, encouragement, faith, and hope through the proclamation of the Easter gospel. Amen. Acts chapter 3, beginning at verse 11. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you and that this is a healing? We'll talk some more about that. Why do you stare at us? as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk. The God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the God of our fathers has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteousness, righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent, then, and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. Indeed, beginning with Samuel, all the prophets who have spoken have foretold these things these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
When a jury finishes their deliberations, they come back into the courtroom to give their decision. It might sound something like this. On the first count, we, the jury, find the defendant guilty. In our text for today, the Apostle Peter sounds just like the chairman of a jury in a courtroom. You handed over Jesus to be killed. You disowned him before Pilate. You disowned the Holy and Righteous One. You asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life. Five guilty verdicts there from Peter. Except that Peter is not in a courtroom. He and John are at the temple in the middle of the afternoon. The only thing of the temple that is still standing now is the Western Wall. When I was there a few years ago, this spot reminded me a lot of Calder Plaza, a place where many people are able to gather together in an open space. Peter and John are in the middle of their usual daily routine, prayer time at the temple. Today, something different happens. A man who is crippled grabs their attention right near that beautiful gate. Instead of giving this beggar some money, Peter has just finished saying to him, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And instantly, the man is healed, walking and jumping all around. That's where our text for today picks up. Every run around this part of the temple is pretty excited, filled with wonder and amazement, astonished and running toward Peter and John at Solomon's Colonnade. This guy who's been a cripple and a beggar his whole life is healed just like that. It's not a trick because everyone around Jerusalem has known this beggar for years. He's never walked a day in his life until today. Peter hears all of this chatter, and he watches that crowd in Solomon's colonnade become almost like a mob as they gather around him and John at Solomon's colonnade. These astonished people want to know how this has happened. Peter sees an opportunity to talk about Jesus, and he takes it. <clears throat> He begins by putting them in their place. He says, why should this healing done in Jesus' name surprise you? Why stare at us? He implies that they should know better. That they should understand somehow that this healing is from God through the power of Jesus. Since their surprise gives away the fact that they don't know how this healing happens, Peter launches into what sounds like an accusing tirade. And you can turn the picture off, Jane. Thanks. Peter says, you handed Jesus over to be killed. You disowned him before Pilate. You disowned the Holy Spirit, the Holy and Righteous One. You asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life. 
This is pretty strong language. It doesn't come from the Roman government officials. It doesn't come from the religious leaders of the temple and the local synagogues. It comes from a simple fisherman who is one of their fellow Israelites. He even claims that their God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, is his God. Peter makes a huge claim about what God has done in connection with Jesus. Peter says that God has glorified his servant and that that servant is none other than Jesus. And then he turns around and begins his list of accusations that Peter describes as being done directly against their own God. That's probably not what these people are wanting to hear at this time of prayer in the temple. After all, these people are Jews, God's chosen people. At this very moment, they are on the property of a very holy place. They're at the temple, coming for their afternoon prayers to God. They're doing exactly what they think they are supposed to be doing, gathering for prayer and worship at the grand worship space in Jerusalem. How can that be a bad thing? Peter certainly seems to think so. So did you get a little bit nervous here at Creston Church when I mentioned that part about the Jews being at the temple for prayers and worship, doing exactly what they thought they were supposed to be doing? I did when I wrote them. Here we are at Creston Christian Reformed Church in Grand Rapids on a Sunday morning for prayer and worship, doing what we think we should be doing. When we think deeply about our sin during our times of confession and our worship, does anything like Peter's accusations come to mind? They should, you know. In our baptism, we share in that covenant that was begun with Abraham. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is our God too. And that makes us God's chosen people as well. When Peter accuses these Jews by association with Abraham, these tough words are directed at us too. And ouch, that hurts. Us disowning Jesus, murdering the author of life. It takes my breath away to think about my being accused of such awful things. And the way Peter puts it, it is full of finality. We're guilty of Jesus' death. And Peter is one of the witnesses. Verse 15 and verse 18 both contain two words that Peter speaks that begin to switch around this guilty verdict. But God. Two little words that help us get a line, a handle on the sermon title, God, the great fixer-upper. But God. What? But God. God raised him, Jesus, from the dead. 
But God fulfilled what he had foretold through the prophets, saying that his Christ would have to suffer. God is the one who overturns all of those accusations of guilt and turns them into declarations of innocence. Peter accuses the Jews of killing Jesus. But God fixes everything by raising him from the dead. The Jews are guilty of this whole plot, but God has had this plan in mind all along, just as he told the prophets. God is fixing their guilty plotting, and he uses their actions to actually allow Jesus to suffer for something even bigger than those horrific actions of a few months earlier. Jesus suffered as payment for every sin that they had ever committed. The Jews just need to remember all those Old Testament prophecies that describe all that suffering. Like Isaiah 53 says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. These Jews are familiar with these words from Isaiah, but it takes Peter's bold speech to help them understand that Jesus is the one that Isaiah was talking about. God was working on his fix-it plan for centuries. They've known God's big plan was coming their way for generations, but when it actually arrives, they miss it. Even though the Jews hear stern language from Peter, they also hear bits of gentleness too. He calls them men of Israel, just like he did at his Pentecost sermon. Peter is a man of Israel too. He knows that they just need help connecting the dots of all the bad things they have done right along with the good fixing of what their very own God is doing for them. Peter continues to show some more gentleness by identifying God as our Father, their own God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who has made Jesus the pinnacle of his salvation fix-it plan. And one more bit of gentleness and understanding on Peter's part about the murderous actions of the Jews. He calls them brothers. And he tells them that he understands how they got everything all mixed up. They just didn't know what they were doing. Does that sound familiar? That's what Jesus said while he was hanging on the cross. Verse 19 gets at the heart of God's fix-it plan for these Jews. Peter tells them to repent then and turn to God so that your sins will be wiped out. 
Simon Kistmacher writes this in his commentary. The Jews must renounce their former life and turn their thinking around so that they no longer follow the old ways, but listen obediently to God's word fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Repentance affects the totality of man's existence. It reaches the inner depths of his being and touches all of his external relations with God and his neighbor. Repentance is a turning away from sin. Faith is turning toward God. These words of repent and turn are all about direction, away from sin and toward God. And the result? Their sins are wiped away. A clean slate. They are innocent. Peter helps the Jews understand how to turn to God when he refers to the healing of that lame man. This man had physical healing and strengthening. The Jews are in need of spiritual healing and strengthening. The solution is the same for both. By faith in the name of Jesus. Remember, these are the words that Peter uses. In the name of Jesus Christ, walk. In verse 16, Peter's so excited about the name of Jesus that he can hardly speak properly. Our NIV translators have smoothed it out so that we can make good sense of what he's saying. But listen to another version, the Net Bible, that works hard to be very literal and word for word in their translation. It says this in verse 16. And on the basis of faith in Jesus' name, his very name has made this man, whom you see and know, strong. The faith that is through Jesus has given him this complete health in the presence of you all. That's kind of clunky for me to read and process and understand easily. But Peter is so overwhelmed by thinking about the power of Jesus' name that he has a hard time with his grammar and sentence structure. God has been very specific about how to think about his name from the very beginning of Scripture. At the time of Adam's third son, Seth, Genesis 4, verse 26 says, At that time, men began to call on the name of the Lord. When God comes to 99-year-old Abraham, he says, I am God Almighty. Moses encountered God at the burning bush. And it was there that God revealed his most personal name, Yahweh. I am, or I am who I am. Jews do not speak this Hebrew word aloud for fear of taking God's name in vain. So whenever we see the, the word Lord printed in all capital letters in our Old Testament, that's an indication of this most personal name of God. It appears almost 8,000 times in the Old Testament. Even more profound is the fact that God equates his name with his very person. In Exodus 6, God speaks with Moses about introducing himself to the Israelites in Egypt. Four times in just eight verses we hear, I am the Lord. 
His name is equivalent with his actual person and his presence. The Jews listening to Peter speak that day understand this concept very well. These Jews are just starting to understand what's so special about the name of Jesus. Why would his name be a part of God's great fix-it-up plan for saving people from their sin? The answer is right there in these very words, saving people from their sin. When God came to Joseph in a dream prior to the birth of Jesus, God said, you are to give him the name of Jesus because he will save people from their sins. Lots of people named their sons Jesus in Peter's day. In Hebrew, it was Yeshua, what we know today as Joshua. In the Greek version of the Old Testament, Joshua is written as Jesus, the same as Jesus in Greek. And the meaning, no matter what language, salvation, saving in the name of Jesus, fixes all sorts of situations throughout the New Testament. The healing power is unleashed in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth throughout the book of Acts. In the name of Jesus, the sick are healed. In the name of Jesus, miracles take place. In the name of Jesus, sins are forgiven. At baptism, this name of Jesus is laid upon each Christian. The name of Jesus is invoked as the authority for the disciples' teaching and preaching. The name of Jesus is the name for which believers are ready to die. In this name, Jesus is present along with his saving power to the point that Peter can simply say, Jesus Christ heals you later on in the book of, book of Acts. By virtue of the name of Jesus and by his sacrificial death on the cross, God put together an amazing fix-it plan that helps those Jews out of their sinful mess. Now the other good part about being connected to their ancestor Abraham begins to come clear to them as Peter explains in verse 25. He, that is God, said to Abraham, through your offspring all peoples will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you Jews to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. All peoples. Did you hear that here in this place and watching us on the camera? We are part of the all peoples today on April 18, 2021. Those Jews lived on the same historical side of Pentecost and Easter as we do. What they are beginning to understand about Jesus through the power of the revelation of the Holy Spirit is for us, too. God's got a fix-it plan for us, too. It's the same one. Repent and turn back to God. Do you need physical healing like that lame man? Perhaps. But we all need spiritual healing. We are all guilty, 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 
guilty, guilty. Just like those Jews. The solution is the same for us as it was for them. Faith in the name of Jesus. Turn away from our sin and turn toward God. And as a result, God declares us innocent, 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 innocent. All because of the power of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We'll continue to struggle with our mess of sin until Jesus comes again. It's obvious in each one of our personal lives, and it's been obvious once again in the tragedies in our nation this past week. But until that day when Jesus comes, God gives us special gifts to encourage us and refresh us. In our baptisms, we receive that watery sign and seal of belonging in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And then listen to these gifts. Take, eat, remember, and believe that the body of our Lord Jesus Christ was given for each one of us for our sins. And to take and drink and remember that the precious blood of Jesus was shed for the complete forgiveness of all of our sins. The very person of Jesus Christ was given for all of us. All we have to do is have faith in his name. The Apostle Paul describes God as the great fixer-upper in Philippians 2, after he describes the humiliating suffering of Jesus with these words. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Let's pray. This prayer was written by Gloria Gaither. Jesus, the mere mention of your name can calm the storm, heal the broken, raise the dead. At your name, Jesus, we see sin-hardened men melted, derelicts transformed, the lights of hope put in the eyes of a hopeless child. At your name, Jesus, hatred and bitterness turn to love and forgiveness. Arguments cease. A mother softly breathes your name at the bedside of a child delirious from fever. And we've watched that little body be quiet, fevered brow cooled. We've sat at the bedside of a dying saint her body racked with pain, who, in those final fleeting seconds, summoned her last ounce of ebbing strength just to whisper Earth's sweetest name, Jesus, Jesus. Emperors have tried to destroy your name. Philosophies have tried to stamp it out. Tyrants have tried to wash it from the face of the earth with the very blood of those who claimed it, yet 
your name still stands. And there shall be that final day when every voice that has ever uttered a sound, every voice of Adam's race, shall raise in one morning mighty chorus to proclaim the name of Jesus. For on that day, every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall confess that you, Jesus Christ, are truly Lord. It was not mere chance that caused an angel one night long ago to say to a virgin maiden, His name, his name shall be called Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, there is something, something about your name. Amen.